There is nothing we should be quite so grateful for as the last line of a poem that goes, when your own heart asks, be resolved, young samurai, and tell the world what you witness here today. Whether one warrior to another, or one army to another, the battlefield can be used for treachery as well as violence. So now that we were like doing this again, yeah. I've had an opportunity to think about... This sentence? This sentence. What does this sentence relevant. mean to you? Tell me more about it. So there are opportunities always in war for one to climb up the ranks socially, right? For, um, you know, grunts to become captains, captains to become, I, I know nothing Generals. about. Thank you, thank you. Um, and getting rid of the people above you is always the easiest way to promote yourself, Yeah. right? So um, sometimes you need to throw a motherfucker under the bus in order to get shit done. Welcome to our seventh episode explaining Legend of the Five Rings on the It's a Mimic channel. I'm Megan and with me again is Roman. And our special guest today, Steve. Hello! <laughs> in this episode, we are going to be diving into the last three of the great clans serving the Empire of Rokugan in L5R. But first things first. Steve, tell us about yourself. Give us your backstory. Where are you from? What are you doing? Why are you here? What's your life like? <laughs> Clan affiliation, family of choice. <laughs> Just the whole shebang, right? Yeah. You know, Amen. star sign... Maybe, Only uh, I'm interested in your star sign, but that's fine. Like, I mean, I'm sure there's others out there who might want to know what moon you're born under, but that's just me. Uh, I, I honestly could not even tell you. I have a cancer. Today's my birthday. Happy you know, birthday, Steve. Happy birthday, there we go. Steve. There, there's some backstory. Happy birthday past Steve. <laughs> now I get two. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, I've been playing role-playing games for a very, very long time. Uh, ever since my teens, I actually, for the first time, picked up a 3.5 starter kit the black dragon edition yep and uh i ran it for my parents because i didn't have anybody else who was interested and to be fair neither were my parents so it, it wasn't really the best experience for my first role-playing game but it did give me sort of a little bit of a taste i got to dm my first campaign and my parents got to appease my nerdy tendencies. <laughs> I love that your parents wanted to be involved with the things that their child loved. They're good parents. That makes me, that makes Most me of happy the time. inside. You know? <laughs> wow. <laughs> they won't listen to this. It's fine. Hey, no, <laughs> we're not doing any parent shaming right now. <laughs> Is that a different podcast? Today, anyways. Mm. Um. Steve, you have trauma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I mean, that, that sort of wet my whistle. And then uh, a certain someone came up to me at one point in time and was like, hey, uh, I want to play some Dungeons and Dragons. And and I'm looking for people who want to do that with me. Do you want to do the thing? Sounds like a great guy. Probably. I don't know. I love that you played D and D first, though. Yeah. Like... We don't. We don't talk about D and D. This is a D and D free zone. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but loop me to that. We got into all sorts of trouble and and teenage shenanigans that you know perhaps were not the most fully thought through at the time but we've all grown as people and we're all all better players and, and gms than we used to be we had so much fun oh absolutely there, there are uh, inside jokes galore and plenty and plenty of references 
Well, and it was one of the first opportunities that I had to not be the Free Ever GM. Because mm. from the beginning of that campaign to well into that campaign, I was the one running the show. And, and did then, a good job. And, but you also offered me the opportunity to hand off the reins. And you not only took the alley-oop, you, in my opinion, absolutely made a slam dunk. I was going to spike the ball, but that's fine. <laughs> 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 Two very different sports references. <laughs> no, I, no, but I really appreciated having somebody else who had the same uh, care for the story that we were trying to tell and the same attention to detail show up and give me the opportunity to explore it in the same way that you would be able to explore it, especially for a table of, like, 12 fucking teenagers. There was a lot of people. Uh, <clears throat> as I said, we, we've had plenty of good adventures over the years. But then another young fellow came up to me at, uh, at our local game store. I believe he worked there at the time. and was just like, hey, uh... There's this game, it's called Legend of the Five Rings, uh, it's a role-playing game, there's this guy who's running a group, and I'm gonna be in it, and I was wondering if you wanted to play, and I was like, well, I don't know, like, D&D's pretty great, like, sure, why not? That's crazy, sounds like a great guy. <laughs> I also love that both of your origin stories meet. <laughs> yes. Because we've, we've given Roman's origin story, which is the, you're forced to learn how to play this game, and you're like, I'm a part of that game! <laughs> yes, yes, I was. <laughs> Uh, and that game had a lot of highs and a lot of lows, and we learned a lot of stuff about how to play in that universe, um, sometimes the hard way, but at the end of the day, uh, introduced us to the world of Rokugan, and I will never, ever look back, because, I mean, it's it's basically become home at this point. You both say that until I make you both play a D&D game, you know that, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. sure. Fuck <laughs> you guys. <laughs> You'd cry. Do not! <laughs> Whatever, he can edit that in post. <laughs> worst kind of person. I am the best kind of person. People say nice things about me. Either way, after that point, I was hooked. Um, the the gentleman who introduced us to the game sort of faded into the background a little bit, and Roman took over in a big way, uh, launching off basically this whole world that he picked up from where the official canon left off and just basically decided what he wanted to do next. And I remember getting a, a either a text message or an SMS or something like that, just being like, hey man, like I'm thinking about running like a whole bunch of these little one-shots and they're all going to accumulate into one bigger storyline. Do you want in? And I was like, yeah, of course I want in. That sounds freaking sweet. Like I am totally all about that. And it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't manage to stick with the thing for the whole time time um the the player group got a little bit big for me but uh the the world that was created and the history and i mean um the the just sort of like ability to have these intertwining stories and characters and a living world is so enticing and the time and effort that you've put into it to allow it to live and breathe is something that I very much appreciate because it's a lot of work. Um, and I mean, I will admit, sort of like Megan, when I came back into it, it was a bit overwhelming because people would be like, oh, it's this guy. And I'd be like, yeah, what? You and I started and left in the same campaign, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you started uh, after me. Yeah. And then left before I came back. Yeah. And, and then, then you... I came back and then you came back. Yeah. So... <laughs> So, it, but at the end of the day, just like yourself, I've taken the time and effort to sort of be more involved, start being more included, and understand some of these references and people that are part of this living world, and uh, I'm now very, very invested and hooked. So, congratulations, you did your job. Yeah. Fuck you, Roman. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I guess the last thing to cover is my clan affiliation. And to be fair, I think that mine is actually a bit nebulous because since I started the game, I've had this connection to the Mantis clan. It is my favorite. Mm -hmm. It's the reason I'm here today. And there's just something about the Mantis that really appeals to the rogue in me. That said, we've talked a lot about, as friends, what our clan affiliation is based on our personalities. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say that I am nothing like a Mantis. You are nothing like a Mantis. Uh, well, I would... I think... We do call him our frost giant, I think so. you're... you're... <laughs> That's just about my height. That is about your height, yes. <laughs> I think that you are much more courageous than you give yourself credit for. Fair. I wouldn't consider it to be my most like embodied quality about myself, however. Honestly, Steve, I think that you are a benevolent human being more than anything else. I would say compassion is pretty high up there. You are you are a person of just unbridled compassion. Somebody who like really feels the effect that their actions have on other people, mm -hmm. chooses to prioritize other people before themselves. Uh, you're somebody who would rather be kind in all things. Yep. And uh, I've seen you play a couple of unicorns. <laughs> yes, I in fact hold the record for unicorn characters in your games. Yep. We're yep. going to break that record, and I'm going to play one. <laughs> no, he's going to be playing his third. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Shit! <laughs> so, I think that, yeah, at my core, I am most likely a unicorn, uh, which, unknowingly, I picked for the first campaign we ever played, just by chance. Yep. So there is something there, to be fair. Um, but, yes, my, my favorite clan, and, and uh, I guess we'll touch on families a little bit later, but my favorite family within that clan is the Tsuruchi. Yeah. Um, which is why I have the moniker Tsuruchi-san. And, uh, <laughs> yes, it is, it is something I, I truly, truly enjoy. I do enjoy uh, archery, which is what the family's all about. But I'm going to stop jumping ahead now, and we can uh, sort of settle on that there. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the reason we have Steve here is because we are talking about the Mantis Clan, and weirdly enough, Mantis Clan is up first. We figured that we would have Steve tell us all about the glory of the Mantis Clan. Yeah. That was way too heartfelt, but that's fine. Go on. <laughs> that's what I'm about, the heart feels. Oh, shut up, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you kick rocks, man? <laughs> you know what? I do a lot, and you guys just keep dodging them for some reason. <laughs> We're used to it. That's fair. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, the Mantis clan is just sort of the nitty-gritty underdog clan. Um, they were the only clan that wasn't one of the, the major clans aside from the Spider, um, and sort of came up from being a minor clan. So um, the Mantis clan was founded as a minor clan in the year 80 by uh, Kaimetsu Uo, the son of Hide Osanowo, after Osanowo elected to give leadership of the Crab clan to his illegitimate son, Hida Kenzen. Kaimatsu Uo's mother, Matsu Kyoda, was outraged. And though her son bore his brother and father no ill will, Kaimatsu Uo left the Crablands, taking his mother and a few loyal lion and crab with them. They traveled to a group of islands off the eastern coast of Rokugan, later known as the Islands of Spice and Silk, where they settled and formed the Mantis. Um, so they just sort of basically picked up took some people who were like, yeah, this is a great idea, and settled down somewhere off the coast where nobody could find them. <laughs> um, which, fair enough. I mean, you know, you just sort of go like, well, this is how this is how it's going to be. I'm going to do my own thing. And that's very much Mantis, is just uh, go their own way, sing their own song. With I the Academy of Learning. <laughs> no? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's a you thing, dude. That's a Canadian thing. No one outside of Canada is going to know what that is. <laughs> 
I also don't know what that is. I yeah, I'll third that. Okay, it's fine. The internet will figure it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, the, the Mantis Clan they sort of claimed green and gold as their colors, uh, which I think is actually fairly similar to the dragon. So the Mantis are a sea green and mm. gold, as opposed to the like forest green and gold of the dragon. I love that we took like a solid inhale at the same time. <laughs> like, well. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dragons in the room. You, you want to fight about it? You were there first. Yeah, it, it's like it's like ocean green versus like being in the forest green mm. is the two Wait, differences. I mean, I like the mantis are a very seafaring clan, but at the same time, I kind of feel like the people living on mountains maybe don't deserve green. Like, why can't you have been like brown and gold? I didn't ask you for your opinion. None of us asked for your opinion on the dragon. Why don't you just read the fucking script? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought this was a discourse. My bad. I'm not getting invited back, am I? Not anything dragon related, apparently. Apparently not. It's okay, we already recorded the dragon episode. We're just... Anyways, speaking of the Mantis clan and uh, taking what they wrote. Um, they would become a great clan when their leader, Yoritomo, led them alongside the other great clans on the second day of thunder. Yoritomo demanded that the other clans recognize the Mantis as a great clan, or the Mantis and their other minor clan allies would attack the great clan armies. Though the Mantis would surely die, the great clans would be weakened enough that they would lose the ultimate battle against Fuleng. Most of the other clan champions were... Not pleased by this turn of events, with the notable exception of Crab Clan champion Hida Yakumo. But they realized that ultimately they had little choice and assented to Yoritomo's demand. So they just kind of like brass balled their way into Great Clan status. They saw their opportunity, they saw their moment, they claimed what they were owed. Believe the word you're looking for is bullied their way into being Great Clan. I don't know, I like brass balled a lot better. (laughs) I was going to say I love that term of phrase, and I'm going to coin that for another day. (laughs) You can have it. Thanks. You're welcome. Appreciate. So yeah, the, the, the... once they became a, a great clan, they incorporated several different minor clans to create their whole, uh, and that included the Kitsune, the Moshi, the Saruchi, and the Yoritomo. The Kitsune learned the medicinal properties of the plants, mastered animal husbandry, and they had an almost uncanny ability to track and hunt. Ushigenja were highly attuned to the wilderness and were the most practiced in deception and trickery, which served them well in a clan full of rogues and brigands. Yes. Um, the Moshi family was a matriarchy with a continuing devotion to Amaterasu, even after the goddess had passed from the divine life. The Moshi were known for their conservative nature and love of tradition, which often conflicted with what was seen as the Mantis way of doing things. The Saruchi, well, let's start with Saruchi. Saruchi was the son of a scorpion and a lion. In 1109, he was betrayed by both clans and had to retake the castle that had been his birthright from his uncle. Saruchi presented his case to the Emerald Champion, a crane with a distaste for both of those clans, and he was declared innocent of any wrongdoing 
and was given leave to create his own minor clan. In 1128, the Wasp clan joined the Mantis clan and the Saruchi family was created. They now lay claim to the title of greatest archers in the empire. Lastly, but hardly leastly, the Liorotomo family came to be in 1128 after the Mantis clan became a great clan. Since then, they have been the ruling family of the Mantis and the only family to be originally a part of the Mantis when they were a minor clan. Since the creation of the Yoritomo family, their daimyos have always acted as the Mantis clan champions. So they're badass, basically. Oh boy, do I have story about the Yoritomo. Oh, um. <clears throat> My favorite story about Yoritomo mm-hmm. was how Yoritomo became the Mantis Clan Kami. The Dragon of Thunder mm. showed up to the Mantis after a great battle and rocked up to Yoritomo and he was like, hey, Yoritomo, I need you, your general, and your 20 best men to come with me to this place called Volturum. We have a war that we need to win. We have to take back this spiritual gate because if we do not, ogres will travel into the spirit realm and they will kill your ancestors. And if your ancestors are dead, you will cease to exist. And Yoritomo was like, all right, let's go. Not just that. Yoritomo said, this is my son. He is my general and I am my 20 best men. Let us go to Volturum. I just want to point out that this is not a visual medium, but your guys' hand waves at each other has made this conversation <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> I thought we were going to roleplay your tumble and the dragon, but Roman just sort of took the narrative away. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. But that's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. It's you, okay. You remembered that I, feel, I am my 20 best man? Of course I remember I am the 20 best man. I'm the mantis guy. <laughs> what is this shit? No, no trust. I know, shame in me. Shame in Roro. No trust, full cap. <laughs> Wait, no, we can do that again, though. No, no, no. no let's take that back. That could, that could be so sweet. They could be sick on the recording. No, it's too late now. God too damn late. it. Yeah. It is what it is. It will die with history. To be fair, I did forget about his son being his general, so. You know what? I don't remember anything, so, like, you yeah, are no, no, no. waves ahead of me on regular <laughs> things. Waves. Waves. Or the mantis. The oh, boy. Ride the Because ocean mantis, yeah, mm, fair. Mm. Uh, so, that's the mantis clan in a nutshell, and or a seashell, shall we say. So, which family inspires us the most? Do we want to roll? Because there's more than two, three. Because normally it's just Roman and I, so we don't roll for this. I'm down for the roll for an issue. All right, let me get it. Let me get a D10. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Was that a D10? I said D10. Yeah. I did say so that. So sick. Uh, I will take uh, the most dragon colored die. Thank you. I will take the most sea colored die. I'm going to switch to a red die. Boo. All right, roll. Roll off. Seven. I roll a three. Oh, I rolled a ten. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise, fuckers. I rolled a two. What did you roll, sorry? Seven. Seven. I rolled a two, so I'll go last. So what family inspires you the most then, Roman? Uh, I'm surprisingly a big fan of the Kitsune. Uh, In the TCG, their whole thing was they were Shugenja who summoned animal companions. Yep. And that exists within the role-playing game in a similar fashion. But not that they summon an animal companion. They're more like druids. They take on animal form. Um, they are still sort of that ranger, almost deceptive trickery style of Shugenja. Mm-hmm. So they fill an interesting role within the clan by being adherents to some form of spirituality, but at the same time being uh, rangers and rogues and offering the clan 
again, a little bit of that sort of scout behavior that they're not necessarily lacking otherwise, but is augmented by the presence of the Kitsune. Yeah, that's fair. Steve. Uh... I sort of touched on this a little bit already, but I love the Saruchi family. Um, they're, they sort of call back to my D&D days where I love to play rogues, love to play the sneaky guy, love to play the archer, and that is the Saruchi sort of in a bit of a nutshell, um, with a bit of a law-abiding twist to a certain extent. Like, of the families within the Mantis, the Saruchi are usually the ones that are sort of a little bit more magistrative in um that is sort of positive yes <laughs> yes yeah. uh but that also sort of plays into bounty hunting as well so it does sort of cross some lines between you know law and order and it does it does go a little bit farther away from sort of the rogue aspect of things but at the end of the day there is just something very appealing about a family that is quite a bit different than most of the other families within the Empire. Of the families in the Empire, I believe the Saruchi are one of the only ones that don't carry a katana. Uh, They're one of the few Bushi family that don't carry yes. a katana. Yeah. So that makes them quite a bit different um, in a lot of ways. They're really very bow-focused and... Uh, I love that about them. It is just a very interesting way to engage, and it does sort of set them apart from a lot of the other Bushi families and how they play in the game. As a small side tangent, mm. do you prefer the Daikyu or the Hankyu? Well, I pick one when you can have both. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> so the, the Daikyu being the longbow, the yes. Hankyu being the shortbow. I, I am a, a Daikyu user yeah yeah i love sniping i love the long range hey you're dead you didn't even know i was there uh hankyu really is more meant for the unicorn and horseback riding that is the benefit of the hankyu is that you don't sort of jab your horse in the back with the bottom of your bow um for mantis you don't care about your horse you're on a boat or you're in a tree or you're hidden behind a knoll and it doesn't matter see i chose a short bow when i did a suruji and that was because we were on a boat and it wasn't like i was gonna probably be like if combat was to occur on a boat it would be slightly more close combat than i'd be comfortable with so i wanted to be able to move around faster mm. but like to be fair like because like when it comes to like my favorite of the families Kitsune is technically my first because foxes, I can't not have that. Yeah. Um, but Saruchi was the only Mantis character I've ever played, yeah. like actually built and played. And uh, she was, I loved it because it was a very different vibe to play in L5R because it wasn't a traditional sword to sword, fist to cuffs kind of fight. Like I could fall back, strategically think about what I am doing, use a different stance for once. Mm. Like uh, anyone who knows like the mechanics of the game, like you choose stances based on what's happening with your combat we'll, we'll probably touch on that episode later in the future but it was it was neat to choose a different stance and be able to use abilities of a different stance because like i would always use like i would always play bushies that were close combat so you, fire or water so fire or water that's all you choose whereas like when you are like ranged you can do whatever the fuck you want because you have the freedom of movement you have the freedom of being able to like take a moment concentrate change anyways so yes. like i thought that was very uh, entertaining to play as a ranged character in this campaign, like the campaign that we played in. So, because I could use different objects of like the battlefield and use different stances and do a different kind of fighting play. But again, yeah. we are very much on a boat. Yes. So I d I chose the short bow so I could move around. Well, <laughs> but, <no>. like... <laughs> and that's definitely one way of looking at it. Um, in the game previous to that, 
I played a Saruchi, and my Saruchi was all about using the Void Stance, mm -hmm. because he was a sniper. So he would Void to center himself, and then he would pick a target, and that target would die. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, say, you don't say target dies, I was going to say target dies. The target, yes, target dies. The target dies. So, and that was on a boat, it was also on land, but the benefit of being on a boat and having a long range is that you don't need to wait for the other boat to be at your boat yeah. to start killing people. So, there's absolutely different ways of looking at it and playing it, um, but the the Daikyu's range is insane. Yeah. And, and there is a rank technique within the Tsuruchi that I believe increases it by a significant amount. Sure well. does. Doubles it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you are shooting, like, football fields away at people and they're just dropping so it, there is definitely benefits to both. Yeah. Um, if they get closer to you, it's a lot harder. Yeah, which in D&D &D terms for our audience, which is mostly D&D &D folk, a regular bow goes like, what, 60 feet and then 120 feet if you are doing disadvantage. Um, the Saruji can fucking arrow you across a football field, so die yeah. on fire. Like <laughs> 120 feet, no penalty, 240 feet with a penalty. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's a different, but that's because it's the, the concentration of their family, yeah. right? But. Yeah, yeah. All right, how would you play a character from this clan? Roman, you're first. <sighs> it depends on which family they're from. Because the Mantis are so varied in what they do, like, I'm not going to play a Kitsune the way that I play a Moshi. I'm not going to play a Moshi the way that I play a Suruchi. I'm not going to play a Suruchi the way that I play a Yoritomo. Typically, when I play run NPCs from the Mantis, I love running Yoritomo. Because I run Yoritomo as a tip, sorry, as typical to the Mantis as I can. And so they're pirates. Yeah. They're a little bit rough and tumble. They're a little bit grabby around the collar. They're a little bit, oh, do you want to go for a drink? Oh, do you want to go for a fucking walk? Oh, do you want to go do this thing? And Love then, that pirates like walking. <laughs> Great. Well, oh, but the, that's the thing. They never walk straight lines. Fair, right? fair enough. As soon as they're on solid land, it's always that Jack Sparrow walk as they sort of maneuver their way through a bunch of things. You gotta keep your sea legs. But it's always for the purpose of being like, hey, so I have a job and I need a guy of your approximate skill, <laughs> right? The Mantis always have a hustle that they're trying to figure out. And like, that's how I play a lot of my Mantis as Fair like, enough. hey, do you want in on the hustle? Hey, I'm, I'm doing a heist. And if you know me and I throw a Mantis at you, your best bet to get things done or to at least earn some cool favors is to just say, son of a bitch, I'm in. Fair. Steve. Counterpoint. Counterpoint. The way I like to play Mantis is fake it until you make it. <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> because Mantis, like, as a clan, almost by definition, believe they are destined for greatness, and therefore act as though that's true. That's fair. So every interaction they go into, from the, the samurai straight out of their genpuku to the saltiest old sailor, believes they are destined to do great things. And so when they talk to people, that's channeled in their interaction. Yeah. They, they show up going, I'm the best, and you should all recognize that. And if you don't, we're going to have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have a fight about it, maybe, yes. perhaps. And to be fair, I didn't pick up on that for a little while uh, while playing Mantis. I think the time that I really started to figure that out was at a court game where I played this real old grizzled Yoritomo courtier. I loved Yoritomo Momo. Yoritomo Momo was just old lady brashness personified. Yeah. She just rolled in and was just like, y'all owe me something. 
Act like it. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, that court kicked off a war that will now be defining the next several years of the campaign. So take from that what you will. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But that is how I think that Mantis should portray themselves. I actually brought up Yoritomo Momo in my campaign. Did you now? That I ran. Uh, because a lot of the background was that war is brewing, mm. and then people that knew that war was brewing knew that Yoritomo Momo was there. Like, it was, I used your character. You're right? welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was going to touch on, and I feel like it actually feeds into what, uh, Steve was saying, is I like to play on their athleticism. So Mantis are very much on the side of, like, we are athletic, we can do acrobatic things, and we are strong as fuck. And I remember when I played even my Saruchi, like, I, she would just fucking glide across the ship and, like, just, like, whip across on ropes and do, like, that was what she was good at, was being graceful, like, as a physical human being. And, like, everything she did looked like a dance. And I remember even when I played a wolf character in one of our old campaigns, which, again, wolf is a customized, homebrewed clan, my character spent time with the mantis and therefore took a lot of their physicality into her fighting style. And that physicality was along the lines of just being acrobatic and being able to move with grace. And so I always, when I played my Saruchi, yeah, she was a Saruchi and she fought from a distance, but when she would close the gap, she closed it fast. And like, she was not afraid to use her feet. She was not afraid to use her arms. She wasn't afraid to like, just move. And we even played slightly like a court where she danced and danced well, right? Like physicality and acrobatics, like just phenomenal. And I, if I play a mantis in any way, shape or form, that's a piece that I like to play on. Hell yeah. Right. All right. As storytellers, because all of us have now DM'd and or GM'd at or story told a um, Elphavar campaign, how do you fit this clan into your narrative? Typically when I use the Mantis, I use them as the the clandestine connection. Yeah. You know, so it's like, oh, we have a thing that we need to do. Okay, well, we need a way to get there. We yeah. need a way into this place. Oh, well, we need X, Y, Z. Okay, well, I have a buddy. He's a little bit rough around the edges, but he'll, he's got you covered. He'll do the thing. Go to this bar. Go to this underground fighting ring. Go to the docks. And there will be a member of the Mantis clan there to help you do the thing as a favor to the person that you were talking to. Mm -hmm. I love using the Mantis as that connect because initially it's, oh, do we trust this person? They're really just working for money. But then you begin to realize, like, no, they're not working for money. They were paid for the service that they're going to accomplish. However, they are people of remarkable talent and remarkable quality. And the payment is simply paying respect to the fact that they're doing this job as well as they're doing it. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not mercenaries, but they deserve to be paid every cent. Yeah, fair enough. Steve? Yeah, I mean, I agree for the most part. They are sort of the dirty jobs utility belt clan. If you've got something that's maybe a little below board that you need done, you go talk to a mantis. They have their own agendas. Don't doubt that. Mm -hmm. But they will get the job done. Um, I'm going to go slightly off RPG topic for a second because of another nerdy property that that is near and dear to my heart, uh, which is Destiny. And there is a character in Destiny, for those of you who have played it, called the Drifter. 
and the Drifter is a Mantis through and through. He is there to fulfill a role and assist in things, but at the end of the day, he is always taking his cut. He is taking his due out of the goodness that you are trying to accomplish, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, it's hard to say. Yeah. But he operates in the shadows and will sort of step up and help out if he's properly compensated. Yeah, lovely. Destiny. I had to plug Destiny. Of course you did. I I love it. I love it. (laughs) No, I, I feel like in campaigns, Mantis have a ship in every port. Is how I kind of see them. So no matter where you are with any coastline that you're on in Rokugan, there will be a Mantis ship at whatever port you're at. So whether you're up north in like the Phoenix Clans, whether you're down south closer to the Scorpion Lands, like when you go closer, you get to like the, like the coast, you're going to find a Mantis ship uh, doing something, moving wares, like doing something, right? So you can throw them into any coastal game on the planet. And yeah. I think that that's the easiest way to like implement them in any game. If you're on the coast, Mantis. They'll be there. Nice. All right. Moving on from the Mantis clan, we are going to be switching over into the Scorpion clan. So while the crane are the emperor's left hand and the lion is their right, the scorpion are often referred to as the underhand of the emperor. They are a family of spies, manipulators, and assassins who value loyalty and duty, and for whom the ends justify the means. The samurai of the Scorpion clan understand that by dirtying their hands, they ensure that no others need do so. Following the Day of Thunder, however, the clan gain another important duty. The twelve black scrolls used to seal the power of Fulang are entrusted to the Scorpion for safekeeping. The Scorpion are mostly identified with blood red and black colors. All scorpion samurai wear masks, as the Kami Bayushi did, to honor their immortal founder. The style of mask varies wildly by the wielder, and is always an extremely personal choice. Scorpion take their masks very seriously, and sub will no sooner be seen without their mask than without their daisho. The families of the scorpion are the Bayushi family, the Shosuro family, the Soshi family, and the Yogo family. The Bayushi were founded by the Kami Bayushi. The daimyo of this family are also the Scorpion Clan champions. The Bayushi are probably the most well-rounded of the Scorpion, often possessing great wit, as well as a talent with fencing. It was for this reason that the Bayushi were often the public face and the leaders of the Scorpion Clan. When Shosuro left the Scorpion Lands to join Shinsei and the other Seven Thunders to fight Fuleng, she left behind three students who had learned the secrets of her techniques. These three students took on their sensei's name and continued to serve Bayushi in her memory, becoming the first members of the Soshuro family. They excelled in acting, drama, treachery, and the arts, as her followers do to this day. The Shosuro are excellent spies, courtiers, and assassins. Soshi's origins are shrouded in mystery. Some said that he was the son of Shosuro and Bayushi. The most commonly accepting case was that he was Shosuro herself, attempting to hide from the events of the Day of Thunder. The Soshi family was the third largest within the Scorpion clan. They were traditionally led by Shugenja, but most Soshi followed other professions. They were associated with the study of Tejina magic as well as shadow magic. The Yogo family was founded by the Shugenja Yogo, the husband of Asako, who had been cursed during the war against Fuleng, cursed to betray those he loved. Yogo joined the Scorpion clan after Bayushi convinced him that he did not love Bayushi or the Scorpion, and therefore could not betray them. Because of the Yogo curse, the Yogo have been forbidden to marry within the Scorpion clan. So let's uh, roll some dice again. Uh, look, there's a d20 in there. Who wants to roll that? No, I'm not going to curse myself. (laughs) 
I rolled another ten. I rolled a three. I rolled a nine. <laughs> Same order. What the fuck? Get on our level, Megan. <sighs> well, fuck you guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, so first question, as always, uh, which family inspires you the most? Roman, you were first. That's a tough one. Um, one of my dear friends uh, represents himself as a Soshi, and I call him the only honest scorpion. Yeah. Uh, my favorite of the Scorpion families have got to be the Yogo. Yeah. The idea that no matter how much you love someone, no matter how much you care for them, you are destined to betray them mm-hmm. forces you to create these characters who will distance themselves, will try to be loners. But inevitably, as humans, we crave that connection. We crave that ability to be close to people. Mm-hmm. And that feeds into tragedy mm-hmm. and Everybody who knows me knows that I love a good tragedy. Love a good tragedy. What about you, Steve? Which family? I would have to say the Bayushi are my favorite, um, mm. both aesthetically as well as sort of their their lot in life. Um, the masks that they have in the game, uh, especially in the card arts, are just gorgeous. Uh, I think they're really, really cool. They've got that, um, what's the term? Uh, what's the styling? I'm trying to remember. Do you know? Mempo. Mempo, thank you. Um, that is just really quite striking. Um, and I really like that sort of uh, style that they've got going on. And then I just think that this role of intentional villains to draw the ire away from the emperor is a very interesting lot in life. Mm. So that's sort of the Scorpion as a whole. True. Um, what you are saying about the Bayushi choosing or having like Mempo-styled masks is more of a common thing, largely because the Bayushi are typically more militant. Yes. So uh, a Mempo, for those of you not in the know, is that what is considered to be that traditional Japanese like lower face guard, um, covering the lower chin, covering the upper lip, um, typically made of ceramic or of metal. Yes. Um, in many cases, styled after demons. Oni. Sorry, after Oni. Thank you, sir. We talk about Oni a lot on this podcast, so there you go. I don't know. Yeah. I, just, you know I, I don't know how initiated some people are, so. Definitely considered a giant. Did a giant series on that. You're welcome, everybody. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Please continue, Steve. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that does sort of cover a lot of it. I mean, you're correct. It is a scorpion clan thing as a whole, but as the head of the clan, I do feel like they sort of do push that that uh, agenda forward um, the most. So I do think that sort of intentional villain, sympathetic villain in some cases, is a very interesting role to take in any story. Um, a, good, a good villain always elevates the overarching tale that's being told. If you can sort of look at it and go, huh, that was awful, but I understand why you did it, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Yeah, I know that we... My favorite would be the Shosuro family, but that's because I love the idea of the assassins, and I played one, and I enjoyed that a lot. Um, but it also bleeds into the fact that, like, they will do for the good of their clan, because their clan does believe what the good of the Empire is going to eventually be. Even though it might be done in not necessarily the right and correct ways. It's like they are willing to do the things that are going to get the same result as someone else will, but faster, better, and more effectively. Not necessarily more negatively or, like, shine sad light or, like, make their life less worth existing, if that makes sense. So we always talk about, like, some of the clans that are less honorable. Yeah, they're less honorable because they're not doing things the same way some other great clans are, but the result is the same. And their goals are the same. Yeah. And, like, their their wants and needs for the structure and strength of the Empire is the same. And that's why I like the idea of the Assassin's Clan, because they are used as grunts in this process 
and they're looked at negatively sometimes by other clans and other members, but what they're doing is still equally as important and equally as great and equally as looked down as good on the eyes of those that are going to be their judgment when they die. It's playing to the end goal. Yes, exactly. Right. So that's why that's my favorite family to play with. Yeah, something, uh, if I may, that really struck me when I sort of started getting into the honor game of Legend of the Five Rings is uh, Roman and I had a conversation because I remember doing something that was inherently unhonorable that nobody would ever know about. So nobody could ever judge me for having done it. And I was yeah. just like, well, why am I losing honor for this? Nobody will ever know that I did this dishonorable thing. Yeah. And, and Roman looked at me and went, yes, but you know. And the you, gods know. You know. You know that you did this dishonorable thing. It's less about what your reputation is as like being honorable or not. And it's more about the fact that like you are aware that you are a dishonorable person because of the things that you have done. Yeah. That is what your honor score is. And that affects the way you carry yourself and the way that people perceive you. It's not your status. It's your honor. So when you yeah, do yeah. something that is maybe perhaps dishonorable, but done in the service of the empire, that has less impact. Yeah. Because you know you are doing it for the right reason. And, and one thing that I have amended since then is that everyone's honor is weighted differently. Mm-hmm. Right? If you are somebody who values, you know, sincerity, honesty, courtesy, as opposed to compassion, loyalty, courage, your honor losses and gains will be weighted differently. But in that instance, of course, nobody else is going to know, but you will know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, one thing that we discussed in one of the earlier episodes is that honor is your metric. It is the way that you look at how you are behaving. Yes. So if you are a inherently a person who values honor, it doesn't matter at all if anybody's watching because you are going to judge yourself harder than anyone else. Yeah. Yep. Very fair. That was very, that was very touching. Uh, that was very nice. Uh, <laughs> you guys are having a moment. That's nice. <laughs> Don't touch me. <laughs> all right. So how would you play a character from this clan? I love to play scorpions because so the scorpion clan virtue is loyalty. Yeah. I play every scorpion male as a family man. Yeah. Every scorpion male is just like, have you seen my kids? <laughs> my mother. <laughs> I was like, oh, what are you doing? And, oh, I got to go have dinner with my folks. Yeah. Like that's how I like to play my scorpions when my scorpions are more relaxed. When I play my scorpions in more high tension situations, of course it's, you know, okay, we're assassinating this dude. We're doing this. We're doing that. But when you meet a scorpion in a bar, mm-hmm. when like, when your buddy's just like, oh, hey, like come hang out with me and Shosuro so-and-so. And you're like, oh, wait. He's a Shosuro. His first thing is, hey, have you seen these wood carvings about my kids? Yeah, I think <laughs> like, their lineage is very important to them. Look at my children's. <laughs> well, be- because in, in the Scorpion clan, more than I think in other clans, the birth of children is a very big deal. So no other clans give um, like maternity leave <laughs> as a thing for, for fathers. Right. But like Scorpion lords will give their samurai like, okay, you just had a kid. You can take a week off. Yeah. One singular week. Go and spend days. some time. <laughs> go and be with your kids. Like, go and enjoy this. Like, this is a celebration. Like, I would love to meet them. Holidays like, off. That's all you get. Family is a huge <laughs> thing for the scorpion because of all of the families, that idea of, like, we are loyal to the empire. 
but we are loyal to the scorpion. Yeah. Right? That is a huge thing. And so that idea of your family is important. Go and spend some time with your family. Yeah. Your family is like the biggest thing that you will ever do other than dying for the Empress. So you know what? You had a kid, go do the thing. So yeah, every every scorpion male is a family man. Every scorpion mom or every every scorpion woman has like a little bit of that like maternal sort of like, oh, well, you were out a little bit late. Your clothes are wet. Why don't you change? Mm-hmm. Like the scorpion moms are like the the helicopter mom. The scorpion dads are sort of the like oh well tell tell me about what you're into. I want to help you with it. Yeah. Right. Fair enough. And, that, and those are like relaxed scorpions. All of my like it's business time scorpions are okay. Who are we gonna kill? What are we doing? Like there there's a very specific like switch on switch off Fair. for my scorpions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have only ever played one scorpion. <laughs> Um, and it sort of feeds a little bit into exactly what Roman was just saying. Uh, and to be fair, to be fair, he was born in a coma bard. So he was, he was born like the lion storyteller family. Lion storyteller family, the only samurai family where crying is not only allowed, but encouraged in the right scenario. Feel your feelings. Feel your feelings. Yeah. But married into the scorpion uh, to this woman who he was immediately enamored with and would immediately, upon meeting new people, if she was present, be, have you met my wife? My wife. (laughs) My wife. Just very excited and happy to be a part of the family and be married to this wonderful woman and just wanted to be happy and and married and part of this clan, basically. Uh, Had a fascination with the Scorpion as a whole and sort of their whole thing and uh, wanted to understand their place in the Empire better to better represent them in tale. Mm -hmm. And uh, definitely immediately sort of integrated himself into this very familial style uh, clan persona. Yeah. Um, so that, that is, that is the way I have played the Scorpion and I agree that it is very much, if you're in the clan, you're part of the group. If you're out of the clan, you're not. Yeah. No. And that bleeds kind of into like my feel of how I would play one of these characters from this clan is that they are inherently like individuals. And yet when they are together as, as a clan, it's just like being home with family. No, like no matter if you know the person, you'll know their cousin. No matter if you know, you don't know who this person is, but you know their dad. Like, it's like there's always like a third degree of separation in this family where you know someone of like, you're like, I've never heard of you. Who's your grandma? Like, that's kind of how I would, like, kind of infiltrate these characters is that, like, they know your family tree. They may not know you, but they know your back history. They'll be like, I've heard your name before. Who's your mom? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, like, my dad and your uncle used to do this in this place. Oh, wait, your dad was... Bayushi so and so was like, yeah, my dad's Bayushi so and so. Oh man, come on, come hang out. Do we just be our best friends? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Come over for Sunday dinner. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. As storytellers, how do we fit this clan into our narrative? I love using scorpions in unexpected ways. So again, like when I was talking about them, I bigged them up as being a big family, sort of a clan. I love using scorpions as being trustworthy individuals. Yeah. Because everybody expects the scorpion to be uh, shitty and to be underhanded and or to lie to you. The and to, in general, yeah. And so, typically, when I play scorpion, when I throw scorpion at people, it's no, he, he's a, he's a really good dude. 
he's not going to lie unless he absolutely needs to. She is not going to take advantage of people unless it is absolutely necessary. And so when the time comes for them to choose their clan over the people that they've developed these relationships with, it is extra hard for them and it hits extra hard for everybody around them because it's, well, why did you do this? I thought we were friends. Well, why did you do this? I thought we were close. And the response is always, we are friends. We are close, but it wasn't my choice. Yeah. It's funny because I think I play the scorpion exactly the same, but in reverse. Interesting. So they are the don't judge a book by its cover clan in the sense that, hey, look, that scorpion's doing something super shady. Hey, look, they're probably doing something evil and bad. We should stop them. Oh, man, we finally stopped them. But it turns out they were working alongside us the entire time. And we just (laughs) fucked it all up by getting our noses into somebody else's business. Yeah. Even though it looked like they were acting against our best interest. Yeah. But that's that's the thing I was going to lean into like if you are another clan and you need to find out something that's going on you may use the scorpion clan as like a hey we need to figure out this information i can't infiltrate my own family will you do the thing and they're like yeah of course we'll do the thing for you and like that's the thing is like they'll go in thinking you're doing evil things and it's like no no i was actually helping the dragon clan like i, I was doing the right thing for the empire my guys like yeah yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. so if you're gonna in, like put them into your campaigns they're working behind the scenes in everything. They will always be involved is kind of how I determine them. Yeah. Like even when they're not in the spotlight, they're always present. They they're present and they are involved. Yes. Because someone needs them because not everyone can do the shady shit, but this clan can do the shady shit. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, yes, I'm going to use this clan specifically to do shady crap to be negative. That's not what they're about. They do things because they do have the same goal in mind as you do. They just have to do it in a different way and they're willing to do it. Yep. Right? Yeah, I think they're the the clan where you you walk into a meeting with them having this super secret thing you're going to ask them. They're like, so, about that thing before you say a word. And you're just like, ah. Should I have closed the door before you (laughs) say that? (laughs) Let me just slow this paper's thin door shut behind me. Thank you. Secrets. 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 Uh, Moving right along to the spider clan today. The spider were the followers of Fuleng originally denizens of the Shadowlands, known as the Lost. The spider left the Dark Realm under the direction of their dreadlord Daigotsu, who led his people from the Shadowlands and into the Empire, where they masqueraded as the Spider Clan. The spider are mostly identified with black and white colors. In 1173, Daigotsu offered his seppuku and in exchange, the Empress Iweko I allowed his son Daigotsu Kenpeki to lead the Spider Clan once they were severed from Jigoku. All the non-tainted Spider members would be granted amnesty and the right to bear the Mon of the Spider. Kempeki would become a noble of Rokugan, trained in the Imperial House. The families of the Spider have consisted of the Chuda family, the Daigotsu family, the Goju and Ninube families, the Kokujin family, the Suzumu family, and the Gyushi family. After the creation of the Spider, the Chuda served Daigotsu as a family of Mahosukai. They were typically the advisors and strategists who stood at the side of a Daigotsu leader. The Chuda lost faith in the spider's ways after being rebuked for breaking the imperial edict against gaijin items. In 1178, the Chuda staged a betrayal of a large contingent of Dagotsu warriors deep in the jungle where the spider and dragon samurai were fully prepared for the predictable turn of events. The few surviving Mahosukai fled for their lives. 
The Dagotsu family were formed when Dagotsu founded the City of the Lost, a warrior family in his name, following the same conventions of fealty, obeisance, and social rank as the Empire, but enlisting only tainted and lost Bushi. Since Daigotsu founded the Spider Clan, the Daigotsu family have become the ruling family of the Spider, and the greatest proponents of Shurido. The daimyo of the family was the champion of the Spider Clan. The Goju and Nube families were ninja that were in the service of the lying darkness. The Nube family were creatures of ambition and deception. Though unlike its other servants, the Goju's names allowed them to keep their personalities and intelligence. The Kokujin family, formerly known as the Order of Kokujin, was a monastic order who worshipped and followed the teachings of Kokujin. Its home was the Temple of Madness at the City of the Lost. Since the forming of the Spider Clan by Dagotsu, the Order had become a family of the spider. In 1178, the Suzumu family was founded and Suzumu's two-year-old daughter was named their heir. Those among the spider who bore no taint and a talent for diplomacy were appointed to this family. They were tasked by the Council of the Spider with representing the clan in diplomatic matters in the Empire. Dagatsu Suzumu joined and led the family until his daughter, Suzumu Kuroko, became of age. Chudagyushi was a craftsman and an armorer of the Chuda family. When the Chuda betrayed their oaths of loyalty to the Spider Clan after Empress Iweko I declared the Spider a great clan, Gyushi forsook his former line and swore fealty to the Spider. The Spider Clan champion summoned Daigotsu Gyushi, requesting that he provide the Spider with his Shugenja ranks. And as such, the Gyushi family was elevated to a full family of the Spider Clan. The Spider are one of my favorite clans. Fair enough. Why is that? Because they exist as a product of someone within the TCG being like, hey, I've won this tournament playing Daigatsu and all of these Shadowlands dudes. Like, I bully the Empress into making us a family. Making us great. Making yeah. us a full-fledged clan. Fair enough. And, like, it's kind of wild that this thing has continued to affect the canon of not only the role-playing game, but the TCG moving forward. Mm -hmm. Right? Daigatsu's... So, within the canon, there's this thing called the First Dark Deal, where Daigatsu goes to the Empress while the Imperial City is being besieged by demons from a foreign land. And one of the rules of this barrier that protects the Imperial City is that only someone of Hante blood or Imperial blood can pass through it. Mm -hmm. And Daigotsu's origin is that he was one of two Hante children taken and experimented on and he had the soul of an Oni put into his body. So Daigotsu rocks up as someone of Hante blood and he walks up to the Empress Iweko and he's just like, hey, Heard you're having a problem. I would love to deal with this problem for you. But if I'm going to do this for you, you have to make my family, my clan, a true clan, a great clan of Rokugan. And the Empress is like, eh, I don't know. As the barriers outside of the Imperial City are starting to shake up. And Daigatsu's like, it's a really good deal. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to walk away, my guy. Like, <laughs> And so she's like, cool, I will do this for you. However, it is your son will become the first lord of the spider great clan because you are going to be committing seppuku to cleanse the stain of your dishonor and the dishonor of everyone else in your clan and he thinks about it for like a solid three and a half seconds and he's like yeah cool so he seps 
And then he goes to the realm of evil, and he stands face to face with Fu Lang, and he's like, yeah, man, you've been the lord of evil for a very long time, but you've been doing a terrible job of it, and it's my turn. I do better. <laughs> and Fu Lang's just like, well, what do you mean I've been doing a bad job? And he's like, look at everything that I've done in my one mortal lifetime. Look at everything that you've accomplished from the moment that you fell from the celestial heavens until now. Like, I'm running the show. I'm the big boss. Give me my flowers. Yeah. Allow me to become the biggest of big bads. And Fu Lang thinks on it for three and a half seconds. This is like, okay, young blood, you're right. And <laughs> gives him all of the powers of the realm of evil. Daigatsu manifests in the realm of mortals, kills this big oni, and it's just like, yeah, peace, I'm out, remember my son. And then returns to the realm of evil as if nothing had happened. We don't fuck with Daigotsu. No. Remember me as I was. <laughs> no, dude, remember me as I am. <laughs> Because whether you want to admit it or not, I'm still him. Yeah. <laughs> still beat, though. <laughs> yeah, still beat, though. <laughs> it, it is one of the things that made Legend of the Five Rings so interesting, though, as a property. was, And I know this has been talked about already, but the, the ability to affect the story and the cards that are created and the direction of the game through gameplay and not even just winning tournaments by doing things while playing the game. Um, Roman, you might need to help me out on this one, but I do remember hearing a story about somebody who recognized that a certain deck in, in the, the TCG was doing stupid things and they called it out. They're like, hey, this is broken. And the powers of the B were sort of like, nah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And he's like, no, no, this is broken. It's a problem. And they were like, no, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. So he's like, okay, put the deck together, went to a major tournament, and tore through the tournament and won. At which point they were like, huh, I guess you were right. And I can't, again, I can't remember what was what was made up of the deck, but it changed the story going forward. So Steve, you just described what allowed Daigotsu was to Was that that? Daigotsu. Okay. Because there was a, there was a non-human, like, Shadowlands deck that played out of a certain thing, and he's just like, yeah, like, I rocked up, I won this thing. And they were like, okay, so we can't actually let you win this specific story prize. So the... Who, in order for you to understand the relevance of what is going on, there's a bunch of backstory, but for those of you in the know, the card printed was the Forgotten Legacy, or sorry, the uh, the Forgotten Temple, something to that extent, and it was just like, so we can't ever have you actually win this storyline prize, so we're going to print you an adjacent prize, and we're going to name it appropriately, mm. but it was just like, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Like, it's really cool. I, I like as somebody who plays like Magic the Gathering, and the two of us also play Digimon. Like, it is something that is absent from other card games that incentivizes players to play different decks outside of just like what's popular. Mm -hmm. You know, I like you've told the story of of Wotan and like Wotan. You you showed up with a Phoenix deck, correct? Or no, dragon no, deck, I showed up with a dragon. dragon deck. Sorry, dragon deck because that was the way that you could properly name him as the Dark World Girl of Fire. So you couldn't just show up with something else. You had to play Dragon to do the thing that you wanted to do. It incentivizes like different play styles and different deck building to accomplish a certain goal. And it's just something you don't see anymore. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's something entirely unique to Legend of the Five Rings. Yes. And I miss it. What a bunch of nerds. Yep. I'll fight you. <laughs> but um, I digress. We're off topic. All right, let's roll some dice, guys. Yeah. We're talking about... Spiders. The spiders. Spiders. Choose a dice. Ha. 
Let me guess. Roman goes first. I go second. Megan goes third. I rolled a nine. I rolled a six. I rolled a two. That was wrong. All right. Well, Roman goes first still. My favorite of the spider families are the Gyushi. Yeah? They are the spider family that sort of spat in the face of what the rest of their family was doing. Mm-hmm. Like, Chudagyushi saw that the rest of his family of of Shugenja were like, no, nah, we're going to do evil, horrible, blood-speaking magic shit. And he's like, nah, I just want to make swords. Um, <laughs> in, in a family of samurai who sort of spit in the face of what the Empire expects of them and spit in the face of what is considered to be acceptable as a samurai, Chudagyushi is, like, in many ways... A terrible samurai because he spat in the face of what his family wanted. Mm-hmm. But he is a phenomenal samurai because he did it to be honorable and to serve the Empress. Um, I also love blacksmiths. Like Fair enough. if you like any time that I play at least a lot of my earlier characters, it's just like, oh, what are you? Like, I'm the blacksmith's son. Like that was just my vibe, you know? So like the Gyushi family, um, I've written a couple of NPCs in my game who are all Gyushi or descendants of Gyushi. And I I love them to death. I they just got a sweet spot for me. I love that for you. Um, Azuki the Kokojin was my favorite because Temple of Madness just speaks speaks volumes to me. <laughs> so fun fact about the Kokujin family. Throw down. Togashi Kokujin uh-huh. <laughs> was a tattooed man who was just like, nah. Togashi, you're whack. Y'all are a bunch of bitches. I'm out. And so he decided that he was going to start tattooing individuals using his own blood. And he drove them mad because he was mad. And so his blood had madness in it. You just made that more solidifiedly amazing for me. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So um, the fact that there is a Kokujin family within the spider. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Like, ob. Right? Yeah, I mean it's a good connection. I enjoy it. Um, I've never played a spider myself in any way, shape, or form, uh, but that just kind of spoke to me a little bit. What I mean, about you, Steve? Yeah, I mean um, I've never played a core spider either. The only spider I've ever played was a homebrew uh, family, um, so it's a little bit harder for me to sort of nail one down. I think I have to join Megan on the Kokujin tree. Yeah, madness tree branch. <laughs> Family. family. I could just use family. Family works. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Uh, like There is obviously something to be said about dragon monks. I'm not going to try to diss those in this room. Not what I would, but couldn't if I wanted to. Uh, but there is something very special about the Kokujin monk style. It's, it's very antithesis of what you would think a monk to be like sure they're still all sort of like in touch with the void or you know um meditation and so on and so forth mm. but it's just a little bit more self-centered and less about you know t- tapping into the universe and more about tapping into my inner strength and my inner power and my inner you know uh you know, Sith code, I guess. Inner madness. Yes. That's fine. <laughs> um, and that's that's kind of an interesting angle, I think, as opposed to sort of the traditional monk, like, yeah, I want to look at the universe and channel its energies through me. It's like, no, 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 I don't need the universe. I got it inside me. We're good. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> Is that your motto for them? I got this. I got this. I got this. I got this. <laughs> Where are the drugs? I've got him. I've got him inside me. <laughs> <laughs> We're good, don't worry. We're good, I got this, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> Alright, how would you play a character from this clan? Uh, I typically play my spider uh, very similar to what Steve was talking about. Like, I am an island onto myself. Mm-hmm. I don't need your help. I don't need your assistance. Oh, you need my help? Of course you need my help. That's why you came. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
because I'm the best person for the job. Um, when spider are struggling, it's always like, it feels like you're pulling teeth, but the spider will always sort of leave like breadcrumbs to the next thing that I need you to show up to. Mm-hmm. Not expecting you to show up, but hoping that you will. Yeah. Um, the, the most notable spider that I've ever played was, uh, they weren't a spider by choice. They were a spider as a product of um, one half of their family lineage, and inevitably they moved away from being a spider, but whilst they were wearing those colors, they tried their best to live up to, I am self-sufficient, I don't need anybody, I am an island unto myself, even to their own detriment. Yeah. And I think that that's what a lot of spider do. Like, the spider will always need other people to help them, but they'll never admit it. Yeah. And if you can get a spider to admit that they need your help, then, one, not only have you earned an ally for life, you've earned an enemy for life. Yeah. I was going to say that they're very much like the clan of ask three times and then I'll say yes. Yeah. Like, they will never say yes on the first time. They may take a little bit of convincing and they may take like, you know, a little bit of just like, yeah, like a little bit of ego pumping is what they require. They need you to say that they are needed. And so like, I don't know, we haven't talked about on this podcast yet, but the samurai like nonsense of asking three times before saying yes or receiving a gift or. It's specifically with gift giving, but yes. Yeah. So I feel like that's what they're doing with giving favors. Yeah. And that's what they're, they, and that also that's kind of the way they are with like accepting help. You have to offer your assistance three times before they would say, fine, I will take your assistance. And that's because you've asked nicely. It's not because I need it. It's just because you keep bugging me and I'm tired of you bugging me. Exactly. Right. So that's how I would play them is like, give it, give the, if you need something from me or if you want something from me, you have to ask me three times. Yeah. What about you, Steve? Yeah. I mean, I think for, for characters in this clan, they are the, there's the, kind of coming back to the whole like asking for help of somebody from the spider they are the uh read the fine print clan you know yes yeah terms and conditions read the terms and conditions because like yeah i'll help you but it's gonna cost you and just because i've said what it's going to cost you doesn't mean that that's the whole deal yeah Mm -hmm. it like i think part of that is is sort of from my first campaign and how the spider were sort of portrayed i believe the horror spider in that campaign was uh uh, a kokujin monk and he was very powerful and could trivialize a lot of the problems that we had and he was sort of our get out of jail free card but there was always a condition there's always a cost there was always a cost so you would go and you'd be like, hey man, like we're in really big trouble. This really bad thing is happening and we don't know how to handle it because we're sort of like a bunch of newish like samurai that don't really know what we're doing either as players or as characters. Can you help us? And he'd be like, sure, but this. And we'd be like, oh, okay. There's a pretty heavy this, my guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know like if I can do that. Like I think one time my character went and asked for help and he was like, yeah, no problem. Just go pray at my shrine. And I was like, what's your shrine? He's like, oh, you know, just it's just my shrine. It's just in the back over there at the back of the Spider Embassy. It'll be fine. I'm like, will it? Will it though? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'll figure this one out on my own. Thanks. Thank you. I don't know how I feel praying to the dark fortunes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, seems like bad juju. Um, I think that character did end up getting tainted at some point, but that's another story. Fair enough. So. Love that for you. Mm. All right, as storytellers, how do we fit this clan into our narratives? 
Um, I love using spiders as my, like, unexpected hero. Mm-hmm. Where, okay, so there's a spider at this court. Nobody's really hung out with them for a bit. Nobody's really paid attention to them. And then somebody's just like, hey, Mr. Spider, what's your vibe? And they're like, well, you see, I'm actually, like, not that bad of a guy. And you have this, like, long conversation with a spider about philosophy or about poetry or about, it's like, oh, wow, like, this spider's, like, a pretty, pretty decent person. Like, just that... And anybody who's been listening to the majority of what we've been saying will see that I love undercutting people's expectations. I love doing that the most with the spider. Because it's like, oh yeah, the spider is supposed to be these like horrible fucking, um, you know, self-sufficient. Egotistical. Yeah, like (laughs) it it is me and my vibe and what's going on. And then you you show them a spider who's just like, well, no, I'm like, I am a fully capable, well-rounded, respectable human being. Yeah. And I'm still going to deny your help. I'm still going to live up to the expectations of being a spider. Mm -hmm. And what I find is that that draws players in even more. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, you weren't what I was expecting of a spider. And so now I want to help you more, even though you don't want my help. Mm -hmm. Right? I love throwing, I would love to throw a spider into the the process of deciding between good conscience and bad conscience for a player team. Mm -hmm. It's like, let's say you're trying to accomplish something, but the only way to accomplish it is by utilizing the spider clan. Mm -hmm. So to a lot of other clans, that's just like, oh, that's like, I don't want to associate myself with them. I don't want to do this with them. Like, like they're not top tier. I'd rather use this clan and do this guy. So it's like, no, no, what you want to do? You, they're the only ones that know how to do it, right? So you have to use them. And then they get luckily well, get to the point where they're like, okay, well, yes, we will use the spider clan to do this thing. And then you go in to speak to them and they're just like, cool, you're going to do all this for us. And then it's like, shit. <laughs> so it's kind of like your team has now gone through the moral compass of deciding to use this clan for their, their deeds and what they need to get done for the empire. But now there's a debt owed. Yeah. Right? And so then they have to decide, okay, well, yes, if they're the only ones that can do this, we have to maintain this debt. And this can fall into someone's backstory or, like, build on a character's, like, player conscience, right? And whether they find right or wrong or honorable, dishonorable, so on and so forth. I feel like it's a good play to bring that that clan in to help people decide what is honorable, what is dishonorable, and use them for that purpose. Right? Mm. What about you, Steve? I think that spiders provide a really interesting play area for a number of reasons. Mm. Um, so I've had sort of a bit of a motto for each of the clans so far, so I'm going to try and stick to that. So the one that I'm going to use for the spider is that it is darkest just before the dawn. Mm. <gasps> you found it! I did! <laughs> I did! Um, because I think that spiders uh, introduce a very interesting space for redemption stories. Okay. They are slated as these very dark, very evil, sort of twisted, you know, bottom of the barrel characters that are supposed to be the big bads that have sort of been worming their way into society. But it is very, everybody loves a good redemption story. Everybody Mm -hmm. loves to see, oh, the big bad have their aha moment and find their heart and either sacrifice themselves for the greater good or... Enemies to lovers, fucking love it, go on. Whatever. (laughs) Any of that kind of stuff. Pop off my leash. Hey. (laughs) Whack, bro. (laughs) (laughs) But as far as like actually as a player character or as an NPC, spiders are in a unique position to use the taint and like have access to this entire set of rules and abilities that most of the other clans don't get a good opportunity to use not because they can't but because it is so much harder to play a tainted samurai in a different clan yeah you really need to be in a very specific scenario where you don't just immediately get murdered or or told to kill yourself and like 
I don't want to be that guy, Steve. Yep. But like even spiders. Oh, totally, absolutely. But but the, it is easier to write a tainted spider than it is to write any other samurai that is tainted. Like still difficult, but they have their place. Yep. Right. You disagree. No, I'm gonna let you cook, man. No, you disagree. <laughs> it's zero, it's zero. I I, di- I disagree wholeheartedly because. Okay. Because of the way that the Empire is set up, and because of the first Dark Deal, yes, Kenpeki becomes the Spider-Clan champion. All tainted members of the Spider-Clan are forced to leave the Empire. Sure. They are then sent as shock troops and conquerors for the Empress in all of the lands outside of the Empire. It is acknowledged, it's still acknowledged that like the taint is a horrible thing yep. and that those who become too far tainted are expected to be executed. Mm-hmm. So like writing a tainted character in the spider doesn't necessarily give you permission to exist within the empire. But this is about this is more about being a, a game master and using spiders in your game. In your games. But in, in order to remain congruent with how the setting is written, you can't really use Tainted Spider as NPCs within the Empire. Not good ones. Fair enough. Like, there, there is a space where you get to use these characters in a very different way from any other character in the game, short of Oni, perhaps, as villains. Yep. And yes, the taint is generally something that cannot be overcome or healed, but it is something that you can, you know, I guess to play into sort of, um, you know, like maybe even like a Sith vibe where like they can have a redemption moment and realize that like they're too far gone and take that final act of sacrifice to redeem themselves. And it's just, it, it is something a little bit different than any other clan that you can sort of play into. Even if it isn't just like a full-on tainted spider character. Yes. I feel like there is a lot of negative connotation with even with the scorpion and the spider that are that are just inherently dishonorable within, you know, Rokugan as a whole. Yep. Um unfairly to a degree, but to your point earlier that it is easier to use them for that as a scapegoat. Yes. Um and as much as we as game players don't want to have to use the clan as a scapegoat, like they are the easier ones to use yes. in that sense in that form. I think is what you're trying to get at. I think so. Yeah. So but, it, it is just something that plays a little bit more smoothly. Like I have as I think mentioned just before, like I ended up with a tainted mantis character at one point. Yep. Um his end was not pretty. Yeah. Because you just you don't get by on that. Like yeah. it's just not something you can sort of get away with. Um, but I mean, even even in the spider campaign that we did play, both myself and one of our other uh, people at the table who were friends had at least one point of tank. Yep. Yep. And like the early bits. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, because I don't think we've discussed it openly yet, the taint is the influence of the realm of evil. The taint up until a certain point, was something that you could just contract by being too close to demons or Shadowlands-influenced things. After the first Dark Deal, it was something you had to actively accept. You had to say, Lord Daigotsu, please give me the taint. I demand power. And Daigotsu would be like, yeah, cool. Here's a little bit of taint for you. The taint is something that will kill you if it becomes too rampant within your body. It is something that offers you immediate power. It is something that offers you, like, immediate um, answers to a lot of the things that you're doing. But the end result, if you're lucky, is death. If you are unlucky, it is becoming a demon lord in service to the realm of evil and your soul being damned eternally. So now that we have that out of the way, 
Hmm. A point of taint to two points of taint is still like I am a somewhat in control of who what I am as a person. Sure. When you get to like three and four ranks of taint, it is you are closer to being a puppet of the realm of evil. At five ranks of taint, like you just give over your character sheet. Yeah. Right? Um, so yeah, like, you and that other player playing characters with one rank of taint is like, this thing exists, and it is scratching at the back of my brain like an addiction. Mm-hmm. It is constantly reminding me that I belong to the realm of evil. And that will, that's what made a lot of you guys' choices, I guess, more impactful. Because it was like, yeah, there is this thing that wants me to do bad, but I am continually choosing to do good. Yes. It just brings a different play space, uh, play space to the game that a lot of the other characters don't deal with. You know, you, you, you deal with adhering to the traits of Bushido, but then you add the taint into the mix and suddenly there's this additional sort of consideration that needs to be made about like, okay, like one of the things that makes being a samurai in Rokugan, for lack of a better word, easier is that you know if you do your duty, you make that sacrifice, you will be reincarnated or you will be inducted into the, the ranks of, of, you know, your ancestors yeah but what if your sacrifice requires taking on taint what if that happens to be the thing you need to to perform your duty suddenly that decision becomes very final well like the the consequences and the cost of taking on taint is that like it it damns you yes that's my point so like choosing to take on the taint and remove yourself from that wheel of reincarnation choosing to damn everyone who came before you yeah it it is a it is a very steep cost as you said mm-hmm. um but it's also one of those things where it's like the average samurai does not say like i would say 90 percent of samurai aren't just like yeah i'm gonna damn myself and everyone who came before me for the sake of getting this done depends on the stakes it always depends on the stakes yeah but that's that's what i'm saying is like as a gm setting up opportunities where the stakes are high means for more impactful decisions do you let your i don't know childhood friend or sweetheart die because you are unwilling to do this thing or do you let the city be destroyed if you want to raise the stakes to that level or you know whatever there are a number of different like large scale decisions that can be placed in front of players that then have to be offset by this cost what does the greater good mean what to you what is the greater good to mean to you how much is it worth to you to do the thing that you've been assigned to do there is a uh, there there's a thing that is commonly accepted amongst samurai where it's you know you may lose your life but you may not sacrifice your honor Hmm. right so the idea of okay well i will die or these three people will die but the cost of that is only my life Mm -hmm. if it's i can save these three people at the cost of my honor most samurai will look at that and say no right like we we all get to die honorable deaths because our honor like your honor doesn't just persist with you in this life your honor persists with you beyond your life right right and uh something that we had discussed in a previous episode was that when you die you go to the realm of waiting to be judged by the fortune of death and a council of people who are like yeah you were a great mantis clan samurai or no you were a shit mantis clan samurai go be a bug right and it's just like yeah go be a bug oh yeah you get to be a cow in this lifetime oh no you get to be a peasant in this lifetime oh no you get to be a like a malnourished dog Mm. in this next lifetime and so death there are worse things than death 
Yes. There are worse things than failure. Mm -hmm. And that is the the desire to take on taint and to choose taint over death, at least in the way that the canon presents it, is always you choosing power, you choosing life, and believing that your power, your personal gain, your personal accomplishment is more important than the consequences of accepting power that you don't deserve. That's fair. That was a long fucking tangent. <laughs> and I could continue it, but the thing no, is, no, we can honestly we can go on. I know you can. <laughs> I, think, I think we can probably move past this for the time. Maybe we need another episode about taint. But <laughs> I, there I is just, an episode about taint. Actually, we'll invite yeah. you back, Steve. There we go. To see what I can just pop off <laughs> about the consequences of oh taint. Might God. be a long one. This is just a very much a conversation of you're both saying the same thing in different fucking ways. Oh, totally. Um, <laughs> But uh, that was the uh, that was the Spider Clan. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> good talk. Good talk. <laughs> All right. Well, and weirdly enough, like, I feel like it does actually bleed into the next section, which is about you know vastly different clans. Problems must come up from time to time, obviously, right? Because each clan has a different Bushido like part that's them. It's like, a little bit stronger than the others, and so on and so forth. So, did you want to go into a little bit of what the rivalries are like? Yeah, I mean, like some of the main ones. Um, so the the dragon and the crane clans have a rivalry based around dueling. The dragon believe that the Niten style, the two sword style, is the 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 ultimate when it comes to dueling, whereas the crane believe that uh, the Kikita style, which is the one strike style, is the, the most important. Um, the Lion and the Unicorn have had a long history of struggling over who is the more empowered military force. Yeah. Uh, the Mantis and the Crane have always flexed against each other about who is the Lord of Commerce. The Mantis have money because they've worked hard for it. The Crane have money because they have worked hard for it in a very different way. Um, the Spider have been at odds with everyone in the Empire as a product of just being the latest great clan, but also the great clan that doesn't adhere to the majority of Rokugani standard. Mm -hmm. So there is a history throughout the Empire. Like, those are just a few of the many things that we can talk about that really solidify the various things that sort of go on in the Empire in terms of... Yeah. Um, headaches. Um, like the crane and the crab have a long rivalry over who really should be the owners of the Yasuki family. Yeah. Yep. Um, and like the, the coast as a whole. Like. <laughs> yeah. Well, like th there's a three way fight between the crab, the mantis, and the crane over who owns the coast. coast. Yeah. Right? Um, well, there's a lot of conflict around the crab as well, sort of being removed from the empire, but as well as being the sort of guardians against Jigoku as well. And the rest of the clan sort of being like, well, why are we sending resources to you? You don't do anything for us. Mm -hmm. And in times of peace, sure, maybe. But if you forget about the times of war, when Jokoku rises up, if you've left the crab by themselves, it ain't great. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all are cool talking shit when everything is okay. But when <laughs> things are bad, we're the first that you come to. Right? You are talking that good shit a minute ago, and then you got kicked in your chest. Yes. <laughs> Which, to be fair, is probably what would happen if you disrespected a crab. 100%. Yes. All right. So let's do this part as open discussion. So do you prefer focusing on what separates clans, or do you like to focus on what actually brings them together? Like, what do you prefer in your campaigns? 
I think there needs to be a good balance. Yeah. Um, like, there's a, obviously a benefit to both. Uh, generally, when you play a campaign, you don't have all of your players playing the same clan. Um, there are exceptions to the rule, but you generally have a coalition of samurai from different clans to accomplish a greater goal, which, you know, there will be some inner conflict, but generally it's more about bringing these people together to collaborate and work together to accomplish a greater task. Yeah. However, no good story comes without strife or conflict and therefore focusing on the differences between different clans probably that you're interacting with outside of your party is really where things can get interesting because you're sort of coming at it from one perspective say like a crane who is coming in to talk about you know cooperation and how we're going to do this and you know being courteous to the people that they're talking to and perhaps they're talking to the crab and the crab are just like man you are just like wasting time with words we got shit to do and like (laughs) those are just two very different ways of coming at negotiation yeah you know like and that's a conflict that's going to happen just through the nature of how those two different types of people work yeah no, I haven't done a campaign yet where, like, the conflict between clans drives the storyline. But I do enjoy the fact that, like, conflict between clans when you're building your characters and they meet for the first time. And seeing how your players interact with that first interaction, knowing that your clans have beef with each other. Yep. So, like, I had Phoenix, um, Dragon, and Mantis in my campaign. And the, the Phoenix and the Mantis in my campaign did not get along for many, many reasons. Um, But they played into it and there was conflict, but they were able to figure out ways to make the campaign drive forward. But there'd be really interesting like interactions between the characters and the players where like a a dig would come out and be like, oh, you remember when your clan fucking did this? Like they just pop that off in a random conversation between them. And it was just entertaining to watch as a DM between them, knowing that they knew what the conflict was between their clans, but they're willing to put it aside for the greater good of the empire to get whatever they need to get done, done. So I enjoy that aspect when role playing with in Rokugan because you can bring it up at any point in time. But I haven't done one where it was like literally clan versus clan as a DM anyways. I've played in campaigns where we were at war with other clans and things were happening. Sure. But as a DM, I've only really played with like character versus character clan conflict. But what about your realms? My go-to is always to focus on what brings clans together and specifically clans that like are inherently at odds. Mm -hmm. Like I love games where it's okay so we have the crane and the scorpion and they have to work together well they're both very social clans they both accomplish the things they want through social means one of them is the smiling face and one of them is the you know the frowning face and having to have both of those sides of the coin work together and accomplish things using each other's talents and abilities to their mutual benefit i find that very interesting Mm. um the next game that i'm planning on running is going to bring the lion and the unicorn together and the lion and the unicorn have a long storied history of being at odds with each other Mm -hmm. but what is going to unite them is that understanding of military order is that understanding of hey we both appreciate a good hierarchy we both know that if there is a mission in front of us there are things that need to be done to accomplish it and so that is going to sort of draw both of those clans together in that common goal and i think that every clan sort of has that you can take clans that are di- as dissimilar as, let's say, the spider and the phoenix. Mm-hmm. 
And if you look closely enough, there will be a thing that brings them together and allows them to sort of work together. There are clans that are less likely to work together, but I think that all clans, for a reason or another, even if it's just as base as the good as the Empire, will find a reason, and you can find good reasons to develop long-lasting friendships that will then show up at later courts in every clan. Fair enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, with that being said, which interclan politic do you find the most inspiring to utilize within your campaign? Canonically, uh, the the dragon spider relationship I find the like the most entertaining because uh, in canon, the spider when they first became a great clan were given the to the dragon to Stuart and be like, yeah, so you have to look after them. You have to make sure that they this that and the other. You have to make sure that they're not just going to do horrible shit. Like, look after them. Um, A man named Miramoto uh, Ichizo was assigned to be the steward of the spider until Daigotsu Kenpeki became of age. So he was the dude making choices on behalf of the spider clan until Kenpeki was old enough to be like, yep, I am a full-grown man. I have passed my Genpuku. I can do the thing. And that relationship between both clans allowed for a lot of information to be passed between the two, allowed for a lot of um, growth to occur for both clans, because the dragon sort of learned to become a little more worldly, and the spider mellowed out a little bit as a product of having, like, such worldly teachers. Yeah. You know? Fair enough. I don't know. I like the coastal fight, and I think I learned that a lot when we did our political um, campaign where we did a court based on one clan's ship sunk in another clan's waters. Yes. But then the person who owned those waters were like, I'm sorry, your ship fucked up our waters. <laughs> like, so it becomes that political like thing of like, yeah, sure, it's not necessarily our fault that your, your ship sunk in our waters. It was your bullshit you were doing in our waters that caused your ship to sink. So, and that was the, I, I enjoyed that a lot of like the, the so, navigation of who owns the waters, who doesn't, who's responsible for what, when that and, happens. And that was a Mantis Crane game. Yeah. Yes. So it was a very interesting to watch because again, you have your militants versus your pacifists, right? Having this argument over who's responsible for the sinking of one ship, right? So um, I find that piece very interesting to play with because like waters are inherently not owned right like when you're out on the waters it is the responsibility of your ship and your captain or whatever it is to keep yourselves alive it has nothing to do with who polices the waters and yet when something goes awry it now becomes who polices the waters problem so it's a very interesting i think that's an interesting piece of play it's not utilized a lot I find, but anyways, what about you, Steve? What do you think? I'm going to piggyback off yours, honestly, um, because... <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think that was a really interesting um, dynamic to sort of talk about, and uh, as one of the... Uh, I was playing uh, the Yoritomo Momo character in that court uh, against one of my good friends who was representing uh, the crane in the conflict, mm-hmm. and it... It was a very interesting discussion. And we literally got to a point where we thought we were going to resolve the entire conflict. And we literally brokered a trade deal at the table. Mm -hmm. We sat down and we set down terms and we were like, this is how it's going to work. This is what you get. This is what I get. This is the way this is all going to work. It's going to be great. Everything's going to be fine. And then at the last second, a wild card was thrown on the table and the crane player was like, well... 
can't do that. Guess this isn't going to work. And walked out the door, and now we're at war. So, like... That's because Andrew Dragon, who did bullshit things. Yeah. <laughs> who would do such a thing? I don't know who you could say. Why would they do such a thing? Who would do such a thing? Who would fuck up a court game? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but it is an interesting dynamic where, like, I mean, if, if you are so inclined, obviously brokering trade deals at a role-playing table is not for everybody, but it was a very interesting sort of direction to take things, and the things asked for by both sides were very different, Yeah. but very in line with what those clans would be asking for in that kind of a scenario. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know, like, that that way of, like, if you truly can get inside the mindset of the clan that you're playing, it comes out in every which way. Yeah. Not just necessarily the way that you would talk to somebody or do a thing, it's also about your wants and needs, both as a character and as a clan. Yeah, like, what is your clan's motives, what are they looking for in the future, yeah. right? and that comes and out how would the they, politics. And how would they barter that with another clan? Yes. Like, you have this, I have this, how do we make this work between the two of us? Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right, any final thoughts before we end this episode on the last of the great clans? No, you're feeling satisfied? Uh, honestly, this is great. <laughs> I don't want to leave. I don't want to do that. I mean, you don't have to stop. leave. You can go back for the next one. <laughs> oh, really? I mean, I mean, you do all right. I'll, I'll think about it. Passable. So that's all for today's episode in this series on Legend of the Five Rings. Make sure to like and comment with which clan you would like to play in your first game of L5R. Don't forget to follow or subscribe because next episode we will be discussing the different styles of gameplay utilized within the Samurai Sadness Simulator. For more info and details, please check the show notes. When you're resolved from the beginning, you will not be perplexed. This understanding extends to everything. Be resolved, young samurai, and tell the world what you have witnessed here today. <laughs>